You're sitting in the cafeteria, catching up on some early morning gossip with friends. Did you guys go to the boys' rugby game last night? Are you going to the Valentine's Day dance this Friday? Did you guys finish the homework from last night? Can I copy your answers? The morning rush song sounds, signaling students everywhere to begin the ascent to their first period classroom. You make it to class just on time for the final bell, and just on time for your teacher closing the classroom door, effectively locking out any students who dare walk in the classroom merely a few seconds late. You take your seat. Here we go, another day in high school. You guys already know, you read the title, this week, Black Magic is taking you all back to high school. For this amazing journey back in time, we have another great guest for you guys, another New Market vet. Our guest is a passionate social worker. She recently graduated with a master's degree in education from the University of Toronto, and she's currently working daily in our community to help transient young people overcome the multiple systemic barriers they face. I'm so pleased to welcome you, Miss Maria Brisbane. Ooh. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. We're so happy to have you with us. <laughs> I just wanted to know, is that sound like a trigger? <laughs> like so nostalgic? What was, what does that sound like for you guys? The lunch bell is nostalgic. What was, what was so nostalgic about high school? What did, you know, what were you like in high school? What did you enjoy? So for me, I definitely enjoyed being involved. I played basketball in grade nine. And then later on in high school, I was involved on our youth awareness council and our spirit council and doing all of those sort of things. So when the bell rings and sometimes we had music in between classes, so I will think about those memories. I think about like getting off of the bus, maybe going to my locker, putting on a little mascara, you know, getting cute literally in the hallway. Um, <laughs> and then kind of heading off to that, that first class and that first rush, like you mentioned. Did you guys have rush music at Sacred? We had um, what we called rush music. So it's like the first bell would go, then you'd have two, three minutes of rush music to get to your oh, first yeah. class. Oh yeah, we had the... Um... Yes. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, what we exactly. had. Yeah. And then eventually people got tired of it, and we actually had like um, contests at our school to try and like change. What oh, the really? music was. I remember that. That's so fun. Yeah. Ours was the same every day. Yeah. So we had a couple different songs. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were quickly <laughs> over it. Yeah. Our morning music was really nice, though. I always reference back to like being in also a Catholic school, if you didn't make it to class by the time that final bell rang, some teachers would lock you out of the class. You'd have to stop in the middle of the hall because then they would start morning prayer and you're not allowed to walk during prayer. So like you might be like sneaking your way down the hallways still while like some teachers would literally come out of their classrooms to watch you in the hallway to make <laughs> yes, sure you stood that still. that was not fun. Oh my gosh. Getting stuck, especially in the big hallway, was the worst. Right, the science hallway, like, I would just, like, be running to get to the stair, the closest staircase, like, you can continue your journey to class. Yeah, I just wanted to get to know you guys in terms of who you were in high school, because obviously we've all left high school, and we've grown as individuals, we've become more sure of ourselves, and as we take ourselves back to that very awkward period in our lives, that in-between, that still trying to figure out who you are, still following the crowd, what were you guys like in high school? Well, for me, I guess high school, like when I first started, it was kind of weird because, you know, when you watch like movies and TVs and they hype up high school to be this like super scary, like everyone's going to bully you, push you into lockers type of thing. And then it's so funny, as soon right. as I arrived to high school, it was not like that in the slightest. Like no one really cared. Like being one of the few black people, everyone was like fascinated. <laughs> by you you know like everyone I don't want to sound like big-headed but like everyone wanted to like be my friend like talk to me and stuff like if anything mm -hmm. I was bullied a million times more worse in elementary school but in high school like I don't remember being bullied once which is actually like pretty funny to think about right but it was a really fun experience for me like Maria said I was also like super involved to I was, I played rugby, I was in band, 
I was in choir. I did like school spirit stuff, school council. I was like the president in grade 12. So high school was a good time for me, actually. Oh, I love that. Yes, president, Miss President. <laughs> How about you, Matthew? So I was the, you know, I was a new kid. I was a n- sort of immigrant kid coming from Jamaica in 10th grade. So I had literally no idea what to do, who I was really relative to Canadian society. So, you know, I was just around and uh, I was never bullied explicitly, but certainly I was, you know, poked fun of whenever I didn't really understand a Canadian cultural nicety or whatever. But yeah, I was like just, you know, the quiet new Jamaican kid that nobody really... um annoyed or messed with but people were just like as as nadia said just fascinated by oh you're you're exotic oh my goodness look at you kind of thing oh my god do you have an example of um like a canadian quote-unquote nicety that you at first you were like wtf yeah i was like why are we in the hallway for the anthem shouldn't we get to class isn't it disrespectful to be in the hallway when the anthem is playing shouldn't we like get to class or something and there's like no 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 you can't walk don't walk and I was like, all right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. The classic, don't walk. Stand in place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think my high school experience was pretty typical as well. Um, honestly, if I had followed my dreams, I would have been on the basketball team. But I'm really happy that I wasn't because it actually turned to rugby in high school instead, which was really great. Loved that. Well, encourage it to anyone and everyone. But yeah, we never had those experiences of bullying, per se. I don't know. I kind of feel as though the same thing as you said, Nadia, like you people almost gravitate towards you for that token black friend or like, you know what I mean? The, to enforce their coolness or whatever it was. So I didn't really ever struggle with that either. It was pretty average. I wasn't into too many like clubs or anything, to be honest. Um, we did have Stomp at one point, Maria. I'm not sure if you remember Stomp. It was so lit in grade nine and grade 10, pretty much a dance club. I was, you know, average student making average grades, didn't really get into trouble per se, um, other than making it to class maybe a couple seconds late and then wanting to ha- make you stand out in the hallway like a, <laughs> like an outsider. But other than that, I have some pretty decent memories of high school. Not anything that I would really want to go back to. I'm so happy I got out of that place. I exactly. Like I was like ready to bloom and blossom and be responsible and like be my best self. And high school was not the place to let me do that. It was right. not the place for that whatsoever. I was so happy <laughs> when I was done. Yeah, I know. Because you're literally amongst all these people who are like, there's half the kids that you're hanging out with are like babied heavily, you know, just just got driven to school, aren't allowed to take the bus have their lunches made for them every single day mm-hmm. like there's you know what I mean and then there's like me who's like been taking the bus to elementary school like public transit every single day and like you know what I mean like I, I just felt like there was such a wide range of like capabilities and I feel like I was usually above most people so I just high school was interesting my grade was super clicky and as much as like I would say the bullying in my grade was definitely there but it was different and our grade had a lot of problems to say the least not to say that we didn't get along in other ways but I would say in my grade itself there was definitely that aspect of clickiness and I didn't like that about my high school experience can you can you elaborate on that what does that mean like clickiness yeah so everyone had their own groups and no one really ventured out of their group and There was a lot of assumptions made about people who were maybe, let's say, in the AP classes or people who weren't playing hockey. There was a lot of different assumptions made about people within groups. Like there was the rugby clique, all these different things. Yes, um, to your point about um, when you were saying like there were so many people with different levels of capabilities, I think that kind of speaks to a lot of, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I think that's the case for a lot of like, black young adults in high school because I completely relate to that as well I like I remember as soon as my first day grade nine my dad gave me my pack of bus tickets and he's like this is how you get to school and then they never made my lunches anymore (laughs) I always had to make my lunches every single day you know I was pretty much responsible for getting home and getting back like the level of responsibility that I had in high school was way more compared to a lot of my peers. Like whenever people were making plans, like 
My family didn't drive me anywhere because they were busy. They're working. Nowhere. So I had to figure it out for myself. And when it came to like going to rugby practice, going to band, going to all the extracurriculars, like that was a lot because you would only get like 10 tickets for the week. And then now if you have to travel Mm -hmm. more, then now I have to pay for those extra tickets. You know what I mean? And then I had to get my first job in grade 10. Yeah, I got my first job in grade 10 when so many of my peers had never worked a day in their lives. And yeah, I think a lot of us can relate to that experience. I agree. I also got a job in grade 10, at the end of grade 10. And I ended up working a lot. So Mm -hmm. that level of responsibility definitely hit earlier in high school than later. Right. And I think that, honestly, if we were to go across the board, I think that's probably pretty um, uniform, at least for children of immigrants, because, you know, they all have the work mentality. They're here. They're, you know, having to make a a name for themselves and their kids and just generally, like, surviving. I think that was almost... It was always going to be that way because, again, like you said, Nadia, my parents worked. They're not coming to watch the basketball game. They're not coming to pick me up from the from practice. They're not coming to drive me to school or bring me lunch or whatever the case might be. Was like, it meant that I had to step up for myself and be more capable and competent. And honestly, I'm so much I'm grateful for that because when you're in grade ten and like we're heading down to like Wonderland, for example. And some people are like, oh, well, I can't go unless, like, a parent drives us. Like, my mom won't let me take the bus. And I'm like, bro, are you kidding me? Are you... Okay, bye. Like, you know what I mean? Right? Like, see you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really grateful for um, the competence that we had going into and coming out of high school. But it's just really interesting Then when you take a look at the topic, like, school uh, to prison pipelines... Um, and seeing a lot of cases how black students are kind of put down and are made to feel like they're not capable or like they're less than. How do you guys feel about that generally? Yeah, like we're treated as adults from such a young age because of all the responsibilities that we have due to our parents being busy working individuals. You know, we're taking on all these responsibilities and it's almost like we're being viewed as adults when we're still in our early teens. And then now when we go into this topic about the school to prison pipeline and you start to think about like punishment and then how punishment is, or I guess how black students are punished, there's a stark difference. And I'm sure Maria can give us way more insight into that. So just to give you guys a definition of what the school to prison pipeline actually is, it's a process through which students are pushed out of schools and into prisons, to keep it simple. In other words, it's a process of criminalizing youth that is carried out by disciplinary policies and practices within schools that put students into contact with law enforcement. Once they are put into contact with law enforcement for disciplinary reasons, many are then pushed out of the educational environment and into the juvenile and criminal justice systems. The key policies and practices that created and now maintain the school-to-prison pipeline include zero-tolerance policies that mandate harsh punishments for both minor and major infractions, exclusion of students from schools through punitive suspensions and expulsions, and the presence of police on campus as quote-unquote school resource officers. I think a lot of it was not enough sort of cultural programming for immigrant and black students, where whereas we're just presumed to be the same in in terms of social status and sort of cultural mores when that's not the case. And whenever that there's a conflict or that great we grate against sort of the cultural norm, um, we're sort of punished for that instead of being accommodated. So, yeah. Right. So do you guys have any experiences within uh, York Region District School Board, York Catholic District School Board, you know, as a black person that you can, you know, pinpoint on your finger like you know I felt discriminated against in this moment I or I felt like you know they were seeing me as different from how I saw myself 
my brother had um some issues. I was considered quote unquote one of the good ones. But my brother, who um was more sporty than properly academic, um was often sort of, you know, quietly, sort of passively aggressively castigated for um being less than repeatedly by various teachers. And there seemed to be an almost sort of why don't you just do the work mm-hmm. as if he wasn't doing the work? And there was no sensitivity there. There was almost a sort of, um, well, you're still in school, so why don't you just um, do the work and stop complaining and stop involving your parents, you know, grow up. Well, when he was right. like, what, 15, right? You know, he still has parents. So if his parents are involved, why are you discouraging the involvement of the parents? Yeah. So I actually can relate similar to Matthew. Um, I'm the older sibling. And oftentimes teachers would refer to me as the good one because I was more quiet in class. I was fairly high achieving, achieving academically, but at the same time, I still faced certain microaggressive behaviors that I didn't have the label for in high school to call out specifically. Um, I think when I was in high school, I noticed a lot of things were different or challenges and why guidance counselors and other people were not necessarily pushing me to do what I wanted to do, but I didn't have the words for that in high school. I think now a lot more youth have the language that I was missing in order to advocate for myself. So for instance, when I wanted to switch into, I was in AP classes when I was for most of like grade nine and 10, some of grade 11. And when I said I wanted to go into a more science-focused program, which I didn't end up doing, but I wanted to at the time, they were saying, well, are you sure you want to change all of your classes now? You already enrolled in everything. It's going to be hard to change back and forth. And that was discouraging. Even though I didn't end up doing the science route, if I wanted to, that's not the message you want to hear. That's not what you want to be told. Luckily, The teachers I had were supportive enough to say, hey, if you want to do it, then you should do it. But the guidance counselors really were not there for me until grade 12. Right. Um, Well, I guess like my experiences in elementary school, like it was a lot more overt, I would say. And then as I got into high school, it was a lot more um, subtle, I guess. Like in elementary school, I can think of there were times when we had this lunch monitor and she was, she would tell other students that she didn't like me and I was the only black person in that class. She specifically told other students that she did not like me. And then, <laughs> and she was so mean to me all the time. And then when I tried to report it, like it was just swept under the rug. And when there were the other instances of bullying, it was always like because when I would report it nothing would be done basically they would get a slap on the wrist or something like that but then when I decided to lash out because obviously I was tired of it then I was the one who was punished and not the person who was aggressive towards me in the first place so it was things like that in elementary school and then that was hard to deal with because like Maria said I didn't have any of the language to describe what was happening to me and then I guess going into high school It was just a lot of a lot of microaggressions. And then when you're trying to fit in with other people, you let things slide that you really shouldn't let slide. Like one memory I always cringe about is I gave this one kid an N word pass. Like, why? Why did you do that? (laughs) Because like in high school, you just want to be accepted, you know, and that's what people are doing. And I was like, haha, you're so cool. Like, yeah, you can say it. No, no, you cannot say it. <laughs> and then, um, like, when it came to um, yeah, applying for post-secondary, like, everyone was talking about going to university, university. And then when I would go speak to my guidance counselor, like, my grades, I wasn't, I've never been, like, high achieving academically. But, you know, I'm a solid B-plus student. But they would always encourage me to do, like, college programs and there's nothing wrong with going to college obviously but I wanted to do university and then I wasn't really getting the support I needed to try to figure out what school to go to what program I wanted to do 
And yeah, it was just subtle things like that, like not being encouraged to take the same paths as my other counterparts for reasons I don't even know why. Uh, um, um, can I say a little something about that mm-hmm. whole college-university mm-hmm. issue? Um, there are some great college programs out there, absolutely fantastic, but some of them are only accessible if you happen to have a university mm-hmm. degree first, like an undergrad, and then you're able to apply to them. All right. And I think that's a little bit unfair to people who are more hands on and would succeed in those more advanced college courses, but they are precluded from doing so because of a lack of an undergrad degree. So that's another weird quirk of the system mm-hmm. that doesn't really make any yeah. sense. Um, I can actually relate to that experience, Nadia, that you were talking about in terms of. So actually, it's so funny you brought that up because me and my brother were actually talking last night and he was telling me about how he used to actually make people pay for the n-word pass <laughs> i should have done that so he would be making money off of people being able to <laughs> i'm telling you i'm like really and you couldn't <laughs> share those those financial like those that knowledge right um <laughs> but yeah so th- in in one case it was like that but for me i also was in that period of like trying to fit in trying to be cool not trying to you know come off as the angry black girl or generally like you know what i mean like all the black stereotypic stereotypes that i really tried to run away from for a very long time and for me it was like I just allowed people to joke and do whatever they want and pretended as though like it didn't affect me like I just completely a lot like people would be making jokes and then you know you get the pat on the shoulder like yeah you're okay with it right like yeah you don't mind yeah you're cool you know it's a joke you know it's a joke and I would just completely take that and go along with it like it was nothing it it wasn't until maybe like grade 11 grade 12 where I really started to hang out with a lot more of my black friends like exclusively Mm -hmm. um that that became less and less accessible or acceptable to me or like and and even at that point I wouldn't necessarily call you out it was more that I would just not engage with it like I would just walk away from you or roll my eyes at you or like make you look or feel like you're stupid it wasn't like me actually calling you out and being like not you're a racist get out my face (laughs) So that was my experience kind of with, like, the general racism aspect of it. Yeah, but um, there was definitely, like, I personally also, again, in school, I was maybe A minus, B plus student. So, like, obviously I was doing well for myself. I wasn't someone who necessarily struggled in school unless it was goddamn biology. (laughs) (laughs) God, God forbid biology. Like, no, it's not mine. But everything else was I was pretty good at it so for me I had that kind of quote-unquote smooth sailing and that day I knew I was a good student and so I don't feel as though I was often um, pushed to downgrade myself and my capabilities and I also am really grateful that I come from a family that really puts an emphasis on education and like for me going to university was not something I found to be an option and because it wasn't considered an option in my mind like that's just always something we prepared for like that was the next step that was what was happening and so Thankfully, I had the home life that was always going to reinforce what, the next step in post-secondary education. But I know that wasn't the case for a lot of my friends. And I did see a lot of them, quote-unquote, fall um, to that pressure of going to college or even going to post-secondary um, at all when maybe you weren't ready or you didn't know what you wanted to do. I definitely see that. And I think that everything that we've all said so far really speaks to that there is no one black high school experience. And oftentimes when you look at research or if you think about how black students are treated in high schools, they're treated as one. There is a wide range of ethnicities and experiences that happen, especially in the suburbs that we don't even talk about. Um, One thing that I'll say even for myself, like as a person whose complexion is lighter, a little more ambiguous, a lot of people would say things thinking that it didn't affect me, even though it really did. And again, I wasn't sure how to intervene or what the best way of doing that was. So similar to what Nadia and Shade, you both said, that is definitely something that I look back on and I'm like, wow, I really should have spoken up more. But I think that really plays into part in how much I do now. Yeah, like how much of a Trojan you are for the issue. And I completely agree as well. Like, I just want to empower young people to know that that's not how you have to live. That's not the standard you have to set for yourself. Um, And unfortunately, because in suburban 
atmospheres, you're kind of, you are the odd man out. Like in comparison, if you were to go into a Toronto district school board, like I'm sure you'd see black and brown faces all around. And maybe you might have like feel even like an even mix between brown and white. But for, you know, in Newmarket and other suburban areas, then, you know, you really are kind of like the only man standing or like maybe you and four others, maybe one of the four others is your sibling or your cousin or something, right? Like, but I always want to like encourage people, especially youth, black youth, to to be more confident in themselves and their blackness and be, you know what I mean? And to have that power to speak up and do the things that I didn't do. And so I also feel like that drives me career-wise as well. Um, but just getting back to the topic here, do we know of any kind of race-based data surrounding uh, school-to-prison pipeline and that idea of Black students being pushed out of school? I would say that the school-to-prison pipeline is like a construct that came out of the state. It just it said that, you know, students who are overrepresented in suspensions and expulsions will have more contact with the law and opportunities to get themselves placed into prison. In Canada, it's something that we don't necessarily talk about as much. We like to hide the experiences of our students by not sharing the facts. So when you look at the TDSB, for example, they're the one school board that I've noticed has really stepped up their game in sharing their race-based data. So Black students in the TDSB represent maybe 13% of the school board, but they are over 40% of the students who are suspended or expelled. That's a big difference, right? So in the York Region District Mm -hmm. School Board, um, they don't necessarily share their stats, but they do have the Every Student Count Survey, which they recently published a report of some of the results. Now, they talk about the breakdown of students in high school by race, and about 5% of students who completed that were black. Um, However, they haven't gotten to the point of breaking down their results by race yet. So in the same way this TDSB breaks down their suspensions by race or ethnicity, the YRDSB and other school boards don't do that yet. And it's something that they're working towards because there's a big call to do that, but we haven't seen those results. Right. And obviously, I think that has to do with the population of black people attending the schools and then generally, you know, paving the path forward to be like, this is unacceptable and we demand better. Exactly. So what surprised you most when it came to your research on this topic? For me, I would say the policy changes. So in the past 20 years, the school school boards have undergone two main shifts in discipline policies. One was the Safe Schools Act. That started in 2000. That was a result of, you know, school safety being a priority and get, you know, drugs off the street, war on crime, all those things. That's what came out of that. So it was pretty black and white in terms of what action deserved what consequence. So students were being suspended all the time and there was not a lot of context as to what the suspension, what happened in the events. When you think about progressive discipline, which came about in the 2008-2010 range, that policy was supposed to account for mitigating factors. It was supposed to account for all of the changes that we, that the context of the experiences of Black students, or all students really, um, and the reason why they changed the policy was because there was the Ontario Human Rights Commission issued a report There was multiple accounts of, you know, that these policies impacted Black students and students with disabilities more than any other group. So that's why the policy changed. But after the policy changed, you still see an overrepresentation of Black students who are being suspended. Yeah. Is it only in the Toronto District School Board that they have police or that police have now been removed, those officers? So the... School resource officers are removed out of the TDSB most recently. There are pushes for other school boards to uh, remove the police from the schools. So some school boards have school resource officers, but they may not be present at the schools all the time. Um, The Peel School Board District also had school resource officers. It takes a while for them to be removed. I think there needs to be like a board vote and reports, all of these things. 
that make it just more difficult to stop something or change a program that has harmed a group of students. Do we know what the like mandate of the school resource officers are? Like what their actual job is, their purpose in being there? Because in a lot of cases, they're just kind of there as a presence, or at least that's what I found at Sacred, that they're just kind of there as a presence. I don't know if they actually had a job per se. So I've noticed that a lot of then like the TDSB report, for example, they are supposed to, you know, be there as a bridge between the police and the school and students. And they're also there for a sense of safety and to address issues that come up. So if there's a fight, if they suspect someone is selling drugs, these types of things they're supposed to support with and act as a barrier. So if a student meets with a school resource officer, maybe they have a chance of not getting charged or maybe there's a way to work through some of their issues but as you said they're just there as a presence we've noticed if they've been in your high school you can speak to what they have done there i noticed at sacred that they mainly hung out where the black students were so that's what i've noticed Mm, right (laughs) is there um any data like showing how effective it is having um, those officers in schools So there have been consultations and community reports talking about school resource officers. I mean, some of the data suggests that students feel safer when there's the police in their schools. Some students say it makes them feel very uncomfortable. It really depends based on location and where they are. And there's not a ton of reports on the effectiveness of them. So I don't think that it can be really generalizable outside of the specific boards that they come from. Mm-hmm. Would you see a benefit in, like, there being more diligent, um, I guess, that's the word I'm looking for, more diligent reporting in their effectiveness? Because, I mean, it's great to have all these responsibilities for them listed out, but if they're not actually fulfilling them, then, you know, what's really the point of having them? Exactly. And I think that a lot of the reporting and how to report incidents is going to be really important and the transparency of doing that. So if you think about right now, a lot of the school boards have a human rights office. They have, uh, let's see, different means of processing complaints and these are new. So I think we just have to wait and see how they work. The TDSB just released their report from their human rights office and the most reported incidents are of anti-black racism. So now we start to now we can have a conversation and we can have the tools to say, hey, you know, we noticed from our office, this is what we're getting complaints about. What is going on in these schools? How can we mitigate this? How can we address the issues that we keep seeing? Right. And I even like venture to ask then, like, I'd love to see a survey on how many people feel unsafe in schools and what in particular makes them feel unsafe, because if you're looking at the job of those um, officers and how they're supposed to make you feel more safe, well, you have to look at what they're, you know what I mean? When we talk about safety, who are you protecting me from? Are you protecting me from other students? Are you protecting me from um, incoming drugs into the school? Are you protecting me from the teacher? Um, And I would venture to say that most black students don't feel safe nor protected when they're around the same way that we don't feel safe nor protected when they're walking past us on the street corner so I would love to hear more about that I don't know if there is any research on that but I think that's definitely an area where research needs to be done in terms of student safety and why do they feel more safe with those them around but also like what do they feel protected from so in the student climate surveys and all of the safe schools type of surveys that they give out, for example, every student counts, they do ask students, what is, do you feel safe in your school and your climate? But there's no option for the most part to get feedback on what makes you feel safe and what doesn't make you feel safe. Or if there is, it's not reported or shown in the reports that are public. So I think it's a change of how we collect the data and how we actually do focus groups. Maybe, Maybe what I'm saying is maybe you do a focus group of different groups of students. You can either do it by race or ethnicity. You can do it by grade level. You can collect it in a number of different ways 
and say, hey, you know, this is what the reports of the survey says, but what does that mean to you? Do you feel safe in your school? What will make you feel safe? Are you protected? What are the things that are going on that we can't capture in a survey? Because the lived experience of people really speaks to some of the issues that we don't talk about that go on in schools. Yeah, because then I just like I'm thinking back to I think it was 2019, probably at this point, that issue of sexual violence at Collingwood Collegiate and how underreported all those incidents of violence were. Do they have student resource officers in their school? Like I'm wondering and how effective were they? Right. So like having the police presence in the school didn't stop that it then. And I know since then, like I've seen a bunch of reports and I used to listen to CBC every single day when I was, especially in the university. And they used to report on that, the fact that school violence was so underreported and that schools were doing a terrible job at actually reporting incidents. And there was a colossal amount of schools that actually reported zero incidents in multiple years in a row. And that's impossible. Like we're human beings. That is impossible. Now we take it back to us being human beings our minds aren't fully developed and you have a bunch of testosterone-filled boys running around. You're telling me you had zero incidents of violence, you know what I mean? So, like, the reporting in schools is just so terribly regulated, I feel. And then to the point where it's like, the officers can't be effective. If all of this is going on, you don't feel safer with that officer there. That officer isn't sitting next to you in class or walking with you to class or when you, you know, when you're outside, whether you're running with gym class or whatever the case might be, is the officer doesn't have enough of a presence and definitely not enough comfort with each individual student to actually make me feel safe. And I feel that like that would probably be the experience of not just me. Uh, no, not, not at all, Shade. Um, in fact, when I was in 10th grade, I would notice instances where individuals were being physically assaulted by some boys but they had learned the the art of when someone they had like a calling system so when someone of authority was getting close one of their friends would say would give them a signal and then they'd stop physically assaulting the person and walk away and so they'd never get found out right that's intriguing um well i wanted to ask uh maria about i guess the discipline side of it i know you're probably going to get into it at some point So say we have these officers now in school and then, okay, they catch some sort of instance of violence. What happens after? What's their role after that point? So it depends, right? Is it the fight? Who's involved? What's happening? Typically, what after any incident, there should be a conversation or a report is made and sent to the office for the administration. So the principals should be meeting with the parties involved. And whether or not that's individually or together really depends on the situation and how escalated it is. And then they make a decision of what the disciplinary consequence is, whether that is um, suspension, whether that is considering, you know, detention, a restorative circle, they have the authority to make those decisions. And oftentimes, when a student, when a teacher reports, they are saying what they want the principal to know. I work in the community services, social services. As a staff, you report, you know, what you see, but also your perspective of the incident, right? And you can't separate the two. And when the students get involved, you, are they being heard? Are you listening to their side of the story? Or do you already have an idea of what happened in your opinion because of what a teacher told you, or the support staff, whoever is the one that was first to get to the incident. Right. I think that's huge. I can remember my older cousin, this is even in elementary school, my older cousin, I think he was probably in about grade six at the time. There was a fight on the playground, and he, who is honestly just a gentle soul and doesn't um, really... You know, he he's so gentle, so kind. Like, if you bother him, obviously you'll have a problem. But, like, he wasn't going hunting down any fights. He wasn't going in search of problems. And he actually was stopping a fight one time. And because he was kind of caught in the mix of things, because he was trying to get in between people and stop things, he was suspected to be part of the fight. Um, and he ended up being the only person who was suspended for their participation in that fight a fight he wasn't even a part of. And man, if I 
could give him the advice that they told him to mind his business and let those white boys get in trouble. But you know what I mean? Like things like that that happen because teachers come over with their pre assumptions really and put their own fog on the situation and then, you know, we'll go from one teacher on the playground probably telling the principal inside. And then that voice is taken as being more relevant in the situation than the people who were actually there. Even I'm assuming probably a lot of the time because they're kids but then also because he's a black kid. Exactly. And that is such an important part Mm -hmm. of thinking about how we interact with people. Like our assumptions and preconceived notions really impact youth and students and kids. And sometimes we don't even know what the effect will be on them until later on. No, in high school, I had even um, a friend who he struggled like and I could see and actually I would I have a question for you Matthew afterwards in regards to the transition from schooling in Jamaica to here but he really struggled and a lot of it I could tell was purely of mental he did not believe he was capable and I could honestly look at him and think back to myself and I knew at that point like you were never supported as a child in the school system to know or to feel confident enough in your work to feel like you're capable of achieving better in your work to feel like you can make any achievements. And so at a certain point, I'm assuming at some time in his life, he just stopped altogether. He did not find school engaging. It did not it was not helpful and it wasn't a safe space for him. So he just stopped engaging. And now at a grade 12 level, I'm looking and his literacy rates are like bismal. And he's like just, just graduating. And it's like so sad and unfortunate to watch that because I know that This isn't because you're not capable. It's because you don't believe you're capable. It's because you've been told so many times along the line that you're not capable and that you're not worth it and that you've just given up pretty much on on school as um, a method of making your way in life. Then Matthew, actually, I want to um, ask you, in terms of your transition from schooling in Jamaica to here, how did you find that? Because I feel like my assumption is schooling in Jamaica is much better. And then you came here and like, the, again, this is, this is how I assume it happened. <laughs> you had this great schooling in Jamaica. I'm not saying that it was perfect, but I'm sure you probably were learning a lot more, a lot faster. And then you came here and you're kind of almost, were you brought back in grades? Like, you know, that assumption again, that because you came from a Caribbean country or a black nation, um, that your education is be- beneath and that you would need to be brought back in grades in order to, to step up here. Um, so that's, that's actually a really funny story because, you know, in the initial education assessment that me and my brother had to go through to sort of place us in like the grades grading system, um, she literally said to me, oh, he did well, but for the English portion, um, they will see him as being less achieving because he used slang in his writing. Without realizing I use slang in my writing, I use slang in my writing. Right. Because in Jamaica, it's not slang, right? So, but she basically, you know, just cut that out and said, they would want to put him in grade nine, but he deserved to go into at least grade 10 or 11. It's up to you. I chose grade 10, even though even though um, I would assume that the reason she's saying that is because others who were less sort of culturally sensitive have put higher achieving students back two grades, three grades, not just one grade. I was fine with going into grade 10. That's where a lot of my age grouping was anyway. Um, And I wanted more time in the system to sort of, you know, understand like the culture before I just went off to university. But in terms of schooling in Jamaica, I was always a high achieving student in Jamaica. And it was easier because um, the lessons were more understandable. And frankly, the textbooks are much better. Um, coming to Canada and the schooling system here, it's very, you know, it's very, the teachers aren't particularly approachable and you very much feel like a child. You feel like a child for a lot longer in the Canadian schooling system. You're not treated with any sort of respect, um, in terms of uh, exactly autonomy and in, in terms of your ability as a person to determine what you want. And nobody ever asks you really what you want, what you're interested in, what's your favorite subject, what do you enjoy? Like speaking to the experience of your friend, did anybody ever ask him, you know, regardless of Mm -hmm. grades, what do you enjoy? 
you know, regardless of what a number on a piece of paper says, what like inspires you? What do you get up and say, okay, I'm looking forward yeah. to that class, you know? Yeah, I honestly, but it was people like him, honestly, who, again, fueled this want in me, this fight in me to make sure that black kids, black girls, black boys all don't succumb to that because, you know, you're, you are capable if you put your mind to it. If it was something else, something probably external outside of school, you would have achieved it even though it was a challenge because you wanted to. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know about you, um, Maria, but my sense is for a lot of black students and immigrant students, um, when we fall through the cracks, there is rarely a net there to catch us. If we don't fall through the cracks, then many times we can be OK or we can manage. But it's those black students who do fall through the cracks. There is just nothing there, you know, and it's almost they become a part of the sort of stereotype right. of the underachieving black student rather than, OK, this is a student who needs help right and that's sort of the frustrating thing definitely that is something that I see in my work I see it I saw it when I was in high school with some of my friends and I saw it in my research it's just um, mind-blowing to me how there are so many students who have so much potential have so many dreams and aspirations but yet still they go untapped or unnoticed because no one takes the time to get to know them no one takes the time to sit there and say, hey, what do you want to do, regardless of grades, regardless of achievement? Because to me, um, a lot of people thrive after high school. They may not thrive in high school, but once they get into a post-secondary environment, they get into a workplace that they enjoy, they get to do something that they truly yeah. want to do, they thrive. Why is that? I don't... Like, there's just so many that we're missing opportunities from the curriculum to not seeing things, to not celebrating, like, Black History Month. When not I was in high school, I can't remember anything the morning announcements, maybe. for right, Black History maybe. Month. And exactly. And these are things that have to go beyond one month. We need to be celebrating and supporting students and all of their goals every single day that you are a teacher or you're an educator what are like what are you doing if you're not supporting students that you know historically have been marginalized through the system right that should be your focus oh my god i just have to put a quote Absolutely. in here right now because i read the article that maria had sent us pre us recording this um the article this is the schooling of black students in the greater toronto area um and she says White racial frames interpret and inform how racial disparities in societies, including high dropout rates, high rates of interactions with police, and high rates of poverty are understood. These poor outcomes are seen as evidence of the failing of individuals, families, or cultures, rather than the failing of our public institutions. And I think that just sums up exactly what we just said, like, right, like understanding that this isn't an individual problem. This is not a one-off case. It's not something that we need to assign to the individual because it's, you know, it's not your fault. You're not um, trying less. You're not less intelligent and therefore it's a, a, a personal problem, but it is a systemic problem. It's a problem that needs to be addressed on the grander scale and be handled at the root instead of us isolating it to these individual incidents and trying to put it off in such a way where we need to group them together and really collect the statistics um, in order to make a difference and improve improve schooling for black students. So I kind of get to the question of would this be different or how would our experience as black students be different if we had more black teachers in the classroom? Well, they'd get it, you know. Have, did you guys have any black uh, teachers in elementary or high school? No, just substitutes. Yeah, I don't think I even had a substitute. Oh I think God. maybe Not there was that. maybe one none, none at all. who helped um, in special needs but I don't remember there ever being any other black teachers, especially at Sacred, uh, Maria, do you remember? No, I don't. Um, in elementary school, same thing. Didn't have it. Uh, I wish that there was. 
<laughs> because I think it, when I got to university, I was always counting to see or looking to see who, if I had a black prof. And I feel like that came from elementary and high school by not having anyone who was black um, teach me. So I felt like I was always looking for that person that I could gravitate towards. Right. I wasn't, I don't know if I was ever looking for it, but it was such a great experience. I remember one of my first classes in university was um, a, a black experience course. And it was taught by this amazing black woman. I, I really wish I remembered her name. She rode her bike to university every single day, had her dreadlocks put up on her head Queen. in a beautiful head wrap every single day. Like just like the epitome of black excellence and beauty and education. And like, honestly, she made the course that much more enjoyable. Just like her literal who she was made that course so much more enjoyable for me. And I, I really appreciate her. I think that's, again, also where you kind of really learn this understanding that the fact that you did not have any black teachers, any black um, authority in your every single day life as a child uh, really shapes who you are and how you see yourself. Yeah, and the impact that they can make is so, so heavy. Right. Representation is so important because if you're not seeing people who look like you in powerful positions as a young person, I mean, that like there's not much motivation or you just think that that's something that's not attainable for you because you're not seeing anyone else that looks like you in those positions. I mean, there's obviously more to it than that, but I think representation goes a long way. And I know for me, thinking back to when I had those experiences of bullying or what have it, when everyone didn't believe me, all it would have taken was one person to be on my side to have changed that situation. So, yeah, I really hope that more, we need more <laughs> Black people going into these fields. We need more Black people going into education because it's just, it's so important. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, I never had, um, as I was saying, it, 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 it would help because you'd feel as if somebody would get it. So you'd feel like you could talk to that person. Whereas, you know, in, when you're in high school in a largely white school, mm -hmm. you don't want to be the complaining black person, right? You don't want to seem as if you're the weak person who can't take what everybody else is taking and not complaining, right? So you just want to take it on the chin, do what you're doing, get out of school, do what you have right. to do, get into Or even back to what you were saying, Matthew, in regards to you and your brother coming into the school system and, and how you might have had quote-unquote slangs in, in your writing. I think it's a disservice to even mention them as slangs because that's a language. Right. Um, and just because it's not recognized here as such, I think that's that's where the problem comes in because if I was French speaking and threw a French word in there as English as a second language kind of thing or, or you know what I mean if I threw a French word into my regular writing because I didn't know the English equivalent or you know what I mean like that wouldn't be considered like oh well he's speaking in slangs it's like oh no you know that's a a bump in the road in terms of he's just gonna learn he's gonna learn how to conjugate that in English he's gonna learn how to do this but the fact that it was seen as a slang, it was seen as a denouncement to your literacy because you included that, whereas somewhere else it would have been perfectly acceptable because that's all part of language. Like, that's also telling. And if you had a Black person marking those tests, if you had another Jamaican person marking those quizzes and those tests and those papers, then there's a different understanding of what that is. And that's, and, you know, understanding that as a language, as a culture is different from us just going ahead and being like, you put the wrong your. You know what I mean? <laughs> so even in, in all those spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody would point out that um, to me that, oh, there's nothing to be ashamed of in terms of, you know, your, your use of language at all. And you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't twang too much. I don't know if you guys know what twanging means, but basically it's sort of like, it's, it's basically the Jamaican version of code switching. We all know code switching where right. you're trying to be more, as, as um, understandable as possible to the largest massive people in your social area but also yeah just understanding again like you mentioned like that language is a part of you and you should keep that and that's nothing to be ashamed of mm -hmm. and in fact you should continue because 
you know, maybe other people can get a little bit more familiarized with, with that as a language. Not that you need to be their teacher, but. <laughs> Just their Jamaican guru. Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask Maria, like, so we've talked about, like, all of the problems, obviously, and what needs to change. Like, from your research and what you've done so far, what are the things that you want to do? Or what are some of your aspirations, things that you want to change within the system? Wow, that's a really good question. I think, you know, after doing my first set of research and I looked at, you know, what is reintegration coming back into after you're suspended? What does that look like coming back to school? I want to take it further. I will, the next step in my journey, I mean, I recently got accepted to my PhD. Mm-hmm. And really excited about all of that. We love, woman, we love it. Yes, yes. ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> it, thank you. It is beyond, like, I'm just still in shock, honestly. I'm so surprised and happy. But I really want to take it to the next level because I want to look at the programs that students are placed in when they're suspended and looking at it from a system level. So we have all these programs. What are they doing? What are the outcomes of the students? How can, what is, are they learning anything? Like what is, are they being stereotyped further? What, how can we actually reintegrate students and make them re, you know, reignite their passions and excitement for school? And beyond that, I think, you know, representation is so important and when I finish and get further into my career, I want to be someone that Black youth, any person of color can come to and say, hey, like, I want to support you to achieve your goals, because there needs to be more of us here, and all of our voices need to be heard. And that, to me, is something that's so important. Um, I've had profs that did one prof in particular didn't even teach me, but she saw something in me, and she believed in me. And I'm working for her on a research project right now, and she's been very supportive throughout my master's and everything. And this is someone that didn't even teach me. So to have someone like her check on me and to encourage me to continue my education and to push me to be better at what I'm doing, that means so much to me. And when I'm done, I'd love to be able to do that for other students and to make them, you know, make them feel like universities and post-secondary is for them, just because people say it's not for you, that doesn't mean it's not for you. You need to be there, and your voice needs to be included. Right. And and That's understanding amazing. that, like, who are they to tell you what's for you or what not, what's not for you? Exactly. Yeah. Just another quote. <laughs> I really love that paper you sent. I, ha- I didn't get to read it full way through, but best believe I will. Um, She says, hopefully creating an education system that does not negate or demonize black bodies is a small but powerful request. And oh my goodness, like, that's it right there, right? Like, understanding that that's exactly what this system has done and continues to do. Um, Even in terms of when you look at um, how we see um, high school in movies, like, again, referencing back to what you were saying, Nadia, Black people, especially black boys, are only acceptable in those spaces as an athlete. Mm-hmm. As someone who is throwing a ball around, the jock, um, maybe hypersexualized a little bit, but he's definitely not smart. He's not someone who, you know, is going to be going to university and all those things. So, or if they are going to university, it's only because they got, they got a scholarship to play sports. And that's kind of the narrative that I see continuously going round and around. Otherwise, you see black bodies in schools as like either the bully or that guy bringing in um, just up to no good, just, you know, dealing drugs on the side or something. And I'm not saying, you know, that's not the reality for some people or whatever the case might be is, but it's not the overarching mass. Um, And it's those stereotypes that really drag us down in especially school atmospheres because... Like, that's what fuels people's perception of us. Before you've even spoken to me, talked to me, asked me, like, we were just saying what my interests are, what are my goals uh, for myself. You have this overarching thing that when I leave this classroom, or even me sitting in this classroom, me sitting in this classroom, I don't care. and I'm not going to pay attention to what you're saying. And then when I leave the classroom, I'm not going to hold on to anything. And so 
teaching me almost becomes something of less valuable. Yeah. And with those stereotypes yeah. that you were yeah. um, talking about, there's, they're always viewed as so one dimensional, right? So even if you are the black kid that's selling drugs, like most of the time they're not selling drugs for the fun of it. Usually it's because they're from a low income family and usually they're trying to support themselves and their families. So there's no like, there's no opportunity for nuance when people are talking about these things. And yeah, you could be the athlete who's, you know, being recruited for schools or whatever. It could be the same case, like they're trying to support their families or they haven't been supported throughout their educational journey to get better at other subjects or they just may not feel like academics is not their thing and that their only um their only uh gateway into post-secondary is taking that athletic route so people love to shrink these things down to the one simple stereotype instead of looking further and you know trying to understand why black students have to do the things that they do in order to get farther in society because we're always placed into these boxes so you got to do what you got to do to get yourself out of there and to do better for yourself and that may not be the most ideal path but it's not like society has equipped us to take the same path as our white counterparts right so and we are and we can't forget black girls in education they're invisible they we don't talk about them we don't research um, about them. And that is something that I couldn't believe until I read something about the invisibility of Black girls in education, and it hit me. I was like, wow, we are doing a disservice. And it goes to show how Black women are viewed in society, too. So it's we, there's just so much when we think about black students as a whole and then break it down to black males and black females and then the black queer population it is just there's just so much there that we haven't even began to really get to the root of and these are things that i think you know will be will become more prominent and as more people start you know using their channels using their voices in social media and really start speaking out about these things then we'll start to see the changes that we need to see. Yeah, I mean, again, like that's another benefit to platforms like this, um, to social media and what they've allowed is really access, I found. It's access to that information, it's um, ability to hear educated people speak. I mean, you obviously have to be following them in a lot of cases, but it's still, you know, free information on the internet that is a lot more accessible now that we have things like cell phones and computers and the internet and the ability to spread that information at a much faster rate. And so I'm so grateful for platforms like this and the conversation that we're able to have on platforms like this to be able to kind of um, change the conversation and encourage more and more black people and black youth to get involved in their own um, just personal development and striving to make the system and make the places that we live and work and learn more inclusive uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. um, Maria, are there any last points or comments that you want to mention that you feel like you haven't gotten to yet? I honestly just want to thank you for having, for creating the podcast and making space for, especially, you know, being in Newmarket, uh, growing up here, having the opportunity to speak to the experiences that people face here that we don't often get to hear. And it's been so awesome listening to all the episodes and hearing about, you know, knowing that you're not alone in what you faced is really important and I'm just like thank you so much for letting me come on here and talk today and I cannot wait to hear the rest of the episodes for the podcast. 
Thank you. No, it's lovely to have you. It's so amazing to have the different um, insights, especially as we all venture into our different careers. And again, like you just brought so much information to us today and, and that's that could only be to our benefit. So we're grateful as well. Yes. Thank and I love that this it. is like such a full circle moment is I like we've had so many different interactions with each other growing up at least I met Maria like way back in high school when we worked for a summer camp Shade you and her work uh, went to school together so I love that you know we got to know each other in different phases of life and now we're able to come together and we're all educated and we can talk about our experiences and right. reflect you know yeah. I, I think that's awesome just take stock about what we experienced yeah all right guys well this has been so awesome thank you so much for coming back to school we had to school (laughs) y'all so we will see you (laughs) we will see you guys next time on black magic make sure you guys go hit that subscribe button share the podcast um and follow us on our social media pages bye bye Bye.